Hello everybody, welcome back to Big Noises from Media Voices. This is our sub-series where Peter gets to talk to whoever he wants about whatever he wants. I'm Chris Eccleth. kind of season. <laughs> I'm Peter Houston. And so, who did you leverage that power to talk to this week and about what? I spoke to Paul Rabarife, who's managing editor at News24 in South Africa. But she wasn't in South Africa. She was in Oxford, where she's been for three months uh, on a Reuters Institute Fellowship, um, looking specifically at how media can keep Gen Z, I guess, engaged in in an employment sense. But mm. you know, she talked more about keeping Gen Z engaged. Full stop. <laughs> but the real focus of what she's been researching is this idea. How do you keep Gen Z employees interested enough to stick around? Yeah. I'm looking through the transcription now, and uh, you actually flag up the fact that people's feelings aren't always necessarily top of manager's agenda. And she says that she thinks that's the biggest crisis in newsrooms at the moment. She talked a lot about, initially anyway, she talked a lot about COVID and what COVID had done to all of us. Mm. Um, and that we maybe haven't fully come to terms with that, but particularly for younger employees that have come into the workforce in a really weird way. As managers in the past, I don't think publishing people have necessarily been the kindest. I mean, I remember how, no. I, was taught, <laughs> well, I, remember how I was taught to write a good headline, and it was basically, this is a shit headline, write a better one. Um and I think rightly and, and, and for the better that has changed. It's this it's not this isn't just about warm fuzziness. This isn't just about being nice to people. It's about really focusing in on talk to people about what they want from their careers, focusing in on the processes and actually giving people a real sense of progression. Mm. African content is a particularly young continent. Um, and South Africa is a young country in that sense. So where you've got a media organization, the people in charge now could be fairly young millennials or mm. certainly sort of mid, midstream millennials. Is that a phrase? <laughs> um, so younger people coming in, you know, where it was that idea of waiting on dead man's shoes, well, that's not going to happen for a long time because you know, these people are in their early 40s. Well, does, does, does she flag the fact that, because then surely as a result of that, the people who are in the newsroom are broadly the same age range as the people who will be consuming the news? Yes. Yeah, and we talked a lot about that in the sense of listening. Mm. Um, the And I think this is really true in the UK and in the States probably. The idea of listening to younger people in your organisation. Lucy Kuhn talked a lot about this. Yeah. You know, the idea that people are in charge have experience but should be listening to people who are significantly younger with less experience but a completely different and valuable perspective yeah and if you want to keep younger audiences engaged then you've got to be listening to younger staff um that just seems i mean in on the one hand, that just kind of seems so obvious. If you look at where news organizations are having to find new audiences now, you they wouldn't be able to do that without the expertise of the younger people on the team. And yet, like to your point earlier, I feel like there is still this, to some extent, this like kind of masochism within the news industry where everybody wants it to be, you know, the heart lights, um, uh, what was it, uh, Towards the End of the Morning by Michael Frayn. This kind of like you stamp out younger talent because they're the competition. Um 
yeah, rather than actually listen to them and highlight them. Oh, yeah, really. <laughs> One of the things that we did get into was this idea that, I mean, I'm, I've, I've never had job security, but I think younger people have even less job security than I've mm. ever had. And you can't blame people for thinking, well, what do I owe this company? Well, I owe them showing up every day and doing a good <laughs> job. But beyond that, if I can find a better gig, I'm going to take that better gig in. That's what that's what Paul was trying to address is that idea. Mm. Well, how do you keep people beyond that and keep them kind of engaged and not loyal? I think that's maybe an outdated term, but certainly thinking about the organization in a longer term sense rather than you know, what, yeah, almost paycheck to paycheck. What can I get out of this news organization in the next three years because they yeah. don't necessarily have the investment or even the desire to invest in my future career here? Exactly. Yeah. And it is um, an investment thing. You know, it's, it's the, the word that she used was nurturing, and nurturing takes time and it, and it takes attention. You know, her, her role as managing editor has really become about people. Her, her entry into journalism is really interesting. You know, she's, she talks about, um, going to her sister's office as a in a, in a, as a kind of summer job type role and her sister was a photographer and she just absolutely loved it she got the buzz she you know she got bitten by it in a way that you don't hear people talking about very much anymore it's like proper oh my god deadlines and she worked at an uh, agency for a while and she loved that because it was just constant name was never on a story but you had to turn the stories around really quick and yeah that that was really that was interesting listening to someone who's just properly properly focused on the journalism um but obviously that romance of it yeah that was fun i mean it's definitely it's definitely one that (laughs) old guys like me should probably be paying attention to because we don't necessarily think about these things naturally. We don't necessarily think, oh, it's my job to make my staff happy. Mm-hmm. We've got that kind of, oh, it's my staff's job to make me happy. You know, my, my <laughs> old boss used to say, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. Well, I think the point, what's changed is that that's a two-way street now. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a good thing. It's definitely a good thing. It's, that makes for better organisation. She talked about the Washington Post doing some really interesting stuff. Well, looking forward to that. Looking forward to editing, actually. But for now, I just want to take a moment to pay the bills and say thank you to Glide Publishing Platform for the support this episode and the entire series. We've spoken about them over the last seven episodes. If you don't know them yet, they're a content management system for publishers, which means you don't need to get involved with software, having to spend your time, money, and more importantly, all your resources reinventing your CMS over and over and over again. They get on with doing all the content management for publishers of all sizes. So you can just get on with running titles and sites and being a success. There's no need to get roped into building any of that backend tech. You can just use their cloud services and away you go. So if you want to know more, you can have a look at gpp.io, give them a check, and thanks again to them for their support. Thank you. I did it again. Did you hear my voice? Started, it's just started cracking. Maybe your voice is of... finally breaking or something. <laughs> can, it, can a voice break in reverse? I hope not, because all, that's all I have is, is this calm and <laughs> enunciative lower register. <laughs> if I don't have that, I've got nothing. So, Peter, how did you actually begin the interview then? As always, I asked some folk how she got into what she's doing and what she actually does as the managing editor at News24. Okay, so I am Raburifi. I'm from Johannesburg, South Africa, born and raised in Dobsonville, Soweto. And I got into journalism 
actually through my sister, although I'm not sure she was aware of what she was doing. Okay. I was, you know, when you're in high school, teachers say, oh, you write well, I like your essays, you should think about, you know, going into these kinds of skills when you apply for university, blah, blah. But that's, I, that's what I always had in the back of my mind. But I used to go to my sister's place of work during high school for assignments. So if I needed to print something out or okay. have a place to work that had internet access. Okay. And she was a photographer at a daily newspaper called the Sowetan. Um, but by the time I was in high school, she was now deputy photo editor. So she was on the desk. She wasn't in the field. So it was easier for me to go to her place of work. Um, and so I grew up in the newsroom. Um, watching deadlines, end of day deadlines, watching the papers up, subs, layout, rushes for sudden breaking news, changing of first front pages, um, all of that. Um, and so it kind of, that's when the bug bit, um, the, the, the adrenaline, the excitement, the no two days are the same. And so we applied to go to an institution that was recognized for its journalism. So I started at Boston Media House, then went to Rhodes University, um, graduated at Wits University. And then my first internship that I got was at Forbes Africa, a magazine called Forbes Africa, which was really nice. But something happened there that made me realize, okay, I don't think I can start my career in a niche publication. You'll remember the Maricana massacre in 2012 when yeah. um, at, uh, over over 30 Miners were shot and killed by South African police service. They were um, um, protesting for, for better wages. And I covered that story, a press conference by the AMCU um, union leader. And I remember going back to the office and because of the way the magazine industry works, you have to tell, like what you're covering now is for two or three months um, time. So the what's happening in July, we've already done the magazine for July three months ago. Yeah. So it's not breaking news. And it broke my heart that I couldn't do that story justice because it would have been old by the time that our magazine went out. That's when I realized I wanted to get back into general news reporting. And so I joined the South African press agency and I was just soaking it all up. It was heaven on earth, you know, a wire agency, so fast paced. You get thrown into everything. No one has a beat. You have no name. Your name is just Sapa or Reuters <laughs> or AFP. You know, no one knows who you are. You just churn out the stories. And that was the best schooling I could have had. Um, I really loved working at an, a wire agency. It taught me how to be an all-rounder. Um, and so that place, um, unfortunately, got closed down. Um, it was struggling financially got liquidated and so I had to find a place of work and fortunately News24 um, was one of the companies that were taking in um, journalists from the wire agency um, and so I got a spot there as a general news reporter and I've been here since 2015 um, as a general news reporter, moved my way up um, into deputy news editing um, in coastal and in inland um, night news editing, I did a stint there, and now I'm currently managing editor. What's a managing editor's job? What do you do? So I've had to define it myself because all the 
we've it's a relatively new job. There's only been two predecessors before me, and they all did different things. So mine is the first one that's people centric. So my three main responsibilities are people, operations, and strategy. So I basically help the editor in chief manage all 108 of us um, in the newsroom. So we're spread across four offices and four provinces, um, with the main ones being Joburg and Cape Town. And then you've got the Eastern Cape and KwaZulu Natal. So I help him run everyone um, on a daily basis, operationally, just to make sure that everything, everyone needs everything to perform at their optimum. The machine is well oiled. I'm a very big, um, I'm very present in a large part of our recruitment. Um, I run our intern recruitment. Um, and then I'm also on the employment equity forum. So over and above being one of the senior managers in the newsroom, I also have to have my employment equity cap on because you know the history of South Africa and how we were previously disadvantaged as people of color. So I always also have to bring that lens into any room that we just, where we discuss recruitment skills, talent because of the, the, the situation currently in South Africa and our unemployment rates are the highest in the world and they affect, affect mostly black, black, um, Africans. So that's one of them. And then I have to also run or be a bridge between the commercial side of the business and editorial. So yes, there's a little Chinese wall between us, but we're also trying to grow and be successful. And with the launch of our, I think our payroll is turning three this year. Um, so in order to not have any interference, I'm the points person, myself and the editor-in-chief will be the points person of commission, what they're uh, needing okay, from editorial. Yeah. So I can give them a bird's eye view, a lens on what we're busy on, that they can align strategically on their side so that we can get some revenue out of it, sponsorship deals, some kind of um, yeah. marketing around certain topics. So yeah, um, strategy, operations, people, those are my major responsibilities. You've already told me that people's the biggest part of that job, right? Yeah. Always. <laughs> very, very hard um, to have that as your biggest KPI as well. <laughs> well, people are the best part of the job and the worst part of the job, right? Yeah, they are, because there's no News 24 without the journalists that are going out to get the stories. You know, we can say the brand is 24 years old and it's successful. We are the leaders in the market. We are the premium news site. Everybody knows who we are. But scrap everyone and what is there tomorrow morning? Mm -hmm. So tell, tell us a little bit about, about your research and what you've been doing at the Reuters Institute. So back at home, um, I've noticed that our youngest staff is especially our best and brightest, haven't been sticking around for very long. Mm. So they'll have like a two, three year spell, some maybe four, five at the most. And it's always so disheartening watching them leave because to me, they are the future of the publication, right? The youngest ones are the ones that are going to help as stay relevant and grow um, into the the next relevant um, publication for their age group and the incoming readers who are now entering the workforce and starting to realize they need to pay bills, they need to take certain things like 
um, the Reserve Bank governor speaking, um, having presses and wanting to buy property or a car or knowing just how much their salary is going to go, how long away their salary is going to go. So I decided I'm going to pitch that I'm going to do some research on how we can retain Gen Zs um, in a bid to stay sustainable as newsrooms and as media businesses. And what I've been doing since I've got you, I've got you, I got you in April, is I've been speaking to Gen Zs who are currently in the newsroom. I've been speaking to Gen Zs and, and the later millennial, the, the, the bottom um, half, who have left the newsroom. I've been speaking to news newsroom leaders, so editors who manage these people. And then I've also been speaking to lecturers at university to find out the attitudes of those budding journalists who are wanting to come into the, the, the newsroom and what the idea of the newsroom is and what jobs that they're going to have and what they're going to do, what their skill set is currently in that formative stage of like trying to become one versus the reality once they're inside. Because I thought maybe if I look at those four areas, I'll be able to see um, where there's room for improvement um, and where there's a possibility to strengthen some, some aspects to try to keep them around. And this is all in a bit to reach the market as an audience, not of those not necessarily wanting to be journalists, but wanting to consume some kind of news, wanting to be um, up to date with what's happening. And so it's been quite, quite a journey. Um, I'll start off with the consumers. I think it's, I think we are struggling as newsrooms to pin down what they need from us because yeah. they are also changing their minds every any given day, right? And what happens when you're a young person, you're not stuck in any kind of stable anything. And so it's really hard for us. And I, what gives me joy is that we're not the only ones struggling as an industry. Every single industry is struggling oh, to good. find that's a way <laughs> to tap into this Gen Z audience because, you know, things change um, and they're not, they're not looking to be serious yet. And so I think they, there's a little bit of a, a breather that we can give ourselves there. They do have big worries on their, on their shoulders. They are starting to study slash work in a time that is financially, economically very vulnerable and fragile. And it doesn't look good for them. Um, they're going to be, um, you know, coming into a world where they're not going to be affording a lot of stuff. The cost of living is affecting everyone, but even them because they're entry level, which means that they're earning the very least in their livelihoods. Um, they're also stressed and anxious. They come from a pandemic yeah. um, at a very young age. So whether that's socially or educationally, they've just had disruptions that have, that, that the previous generations didn't necessarily go through. And so it's kind of, um, it, exaggerated, emphasized, or made them a little bit more exposed and vulnerable to anxieties, um, stress, their mental health. Um, but it's also forced them to take it seriously and to, to, to protect it, to be protective of it, which has kind of led a force to force industries to no, not be able to ignore it or downplay it or sweep it under the rug as we have done in the previous years. So that's been something that's that's been one of valuable the that has come. 
One of the questions I was going to ask you on that is, do you think that we do, you know, general media mm-hmm. does a good job or a bad job of acknowledging the difference there? Because I, I know recently in the UK, there seems to be, mm-hmm. and in the States actually, seems to be a lot of sort of anti-Gen Z stories. I'll tell you for News24 specifically, because I did the numbers, we are majority millennial in our in our staff uh, workforce. Yep. Majority of our members are millennial, I'd say over 70. And then we've got six Gen Zs, two, two are permanent staffers and four interns. So it's an annual it's an annual program. So they may not get jobs at the end of the year. And then we've got baby boomers and Gen Xs, which is like a small, like three, five percent presentation, uh, representation. And so I think with news, when you see angles like that, it's coming from an outsider's point of view, looking at a population like um, on a petri dish under a microscope, right? <laughs> which says a lot about who's at the table deciding what angles Absolutely. we should decide on, uh, write about. Oh, sorry. What we should write about, the angle we should take. Um, and that speaks to one of the things that I actually cover in my research to say, if we want to tap into that audience, we need to acknowledge the very Gen Zs that are in our own newsrooms because those are their peers and friends. And when they are outside of our newsroom, they're also looking for content to read that's relevant to them. Yeah. Do they have a place at the table in those newsrooms? And then when you read what you're saying about the angling, the attitude, the sentiment, the tone, that tells you very much that maybe they're not being given a seat at the table to help the team find a better way to speak about and to that audience. So go back to your what you originally said about your role about inclusion. You know, you try and see that the the employment process through an inclusion lens. Obviously, Gen Z that's another aspect to that. It's not mm-hmm. all about race or gender. There's a there's an age aspect mm-hmm. to it the same way. Mm-hmm. So, so have you come up with yeah. any answers? So the thing is, um, Peter, in South Africa, we're a very young country. Um, over 50% of, our, uh, of South Africans uh, are under the age of 39, and that's the same as our readership. Um, and majority of South Africans are obviously Black Africans. So that's the lens that I always try to bring into the recruiting room. It's difficult. I'm not going to lie to you because journalism is also um, uh, an industry. It's an industry where you need skills, right? Yep. Um, and sometimes some things can be taught, but sometimes you need that very, the, 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 the raw talent, um, that can be honed into something a little bit more polished. And there are times when it's very difficult to find an EE candidate. That's what we, we define everybody who's previously disadvantaged, which includes women. Um, and people with disabilities in our company specifically. It can be difficult to find the, 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 the set of skills that you need from a business point of view from, from, for that department in that group or that pool that you're trying to prioritize in balancing um, the, 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 the previous disadvantages. And so it's a hit and miss. I'm going to be honest with you. We don't always... Um, get the preferred candidate being an EE candidate. Unfortunately, it can be a white male who is the best in the country doing that. 
And that's who you hire because that's the skills that you need in your newsroom. Um, so it's give and take. You need to, I, from my perspective, you need to do a dance. You need to know where there's room to tap yeah. into that pool because they're rich with those skills and there's definitely not going to be any pushback. And then you need to know when to give in and say, look, we don't have very limited in this scope. And that's also a signifier, which I really want to push with newsrooms to say, when you get those uh, moments where you find actually there's a, a, a very few people who have this set of skills and they're mostly white, mostly male, that's when we should get a wake-up call as newsrooms to start nurturing our own in-house talent so that they can eventually, over time, maybe through mentoring from these senior specialists, become the next group that is rich and diverse, that is offering not just our newsroom, but the industry, those set of skills, because this isn't just a, a newsroom-related um, transformative journey. It needs to be all over the country. So those are some of the ways that I'm trying to, um, where there's a problem or stumbling block or an obstacle, see what the solution is and then try to feed it into our newsroom and, and, and create like a, a, a mental, a mindset change. That word nurturing is really important, mm. but the way media is run, I'm assuming all over the world, there's no money for nurturing, right? It's just get it done, make some money, and then move on to the next thing. Nurturing's a long-term thing. It is a long-term thing. I will say I do think there is money. I think the downside or the possible stumbling block is in them leaving before they became the thing that you wanted them to yeah. become. Sure. I think that's the bigger challenge um, with our industry. We definitely, I'll speak strictly for Media24, but there's a very, very high prioritized culture of learning, developing training that happens in the company. And there's always room room for, for, for that. What I will say on it though is, and I spoke to this, um, to, um, one of the Nigerian editor in chief of Zikoko. I don't know if you've met Ruth, um, but I spoke to her about this to say that over and above the, 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 the nurturing and the talent, you need to make sure that there's a succession plan. I think people need to, people want to see that you have a plan for them. They don't want to show up at work, especially when they're driven and ambitious. They don't want to show up and work and keep doing um, the same thing every day. They want to know that you're in the room strategizing about how Peter is really good at this. And in a year's time, in six months time, I want them to get to this. But there's um, the, 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 the obstacle I think um, newsrooms should be wary of is how much do you really know that your talent is having those conversations in those rooms. It's all good and well for Peter, who's editor-in-chief, um, to be sitting at the top and be giving that, that that talk to the managers to say, this is how I want our teams to be nurtured. I want everybody to feel like there's a plan for them and please have it. But what I'm finding is there's a gap between that trust that's being placed on editors and then not knowing what actually happens in a one-on-one. -on -one. Because I find from what I've spoke, what I've heard when I speak to junior reporters is that sometimes that conversation is not happening. 
it's an exercise to say, I've written this many stories in the past six months. I've hmm. gotten these, I've uploaded these videos. I did, I did these socials. So it's strictly based on the KPI, but the conversations about growth, what are my strengths? What are my dreams two, three years from now? What would I like to venture into? There's no accountability for the person at the top, like your managing editor and editor-in-chief to get feedback, to say that those conversations happened and this is the direction they want to move. And so let's create a plan to kind of map it for them. Because I feel that if that was a little bit tighter, there would be a lot more confidence from our younger staff members that made them feel like, okay, I can stick around for longer because I can see my growth trajectory. So when you talk to young people that had left the profession, what did they say? What Did they give reasons for why they had left? They didn't see what growth looked like inside the newsroom. Um, Not everybody wants to be an editor, but also, like I told you, the bulk of our newsroom is millennials. Um, Our editor-in-chief, is like the, the 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 eldest millennial. So he's in his early 40s. He's not going anywhere anytime soon unless <laughs> <laughs> he decides to, I don't know, elope or, or something. So when you're a 25-year-old who has won awards and yeah. has worked yeah, yeah. with, because you're driven and passionate, right? You're 25, 27. You've pitched events. You've been allowed to run with this and that. At some point, okay, fine, I'm approaching 30 and I want to see, okay, I want to buy a flat with my partner. I want to adopt a dog or maybe have a kid. I need a salary increase. And unfortunately, in our industry, you don't get an increase unless you threaten to leave or you get promoted upwards. So, or you you leave and come back. So those things start playing around in your mind and you start looking at, okay, so who are the seniors here? What does it look like? Is there an opportunity for somebody to get out and a, a, a position to be made open? Would I be able to step in there? Probably won't because you haven't managed anyone. You may be a specialist at this one skill, but mm. they would probably want to keep you doing that skill because that's what's been giving us the readers. You're pulling them in. And so if you're wanting to grow and you're really young and you're not seeing opportunities, you get demotivated and then you find an outlet. So. The two that I spoke to, one left, both of them left the newsroom, so they didn't go to a competitor. Um, one left completely, and the other one went to the business side um, and is earning a much better salary. That will always be don't, a factor. Don't tell people that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's those kinds of things that are getting them to leave. And I think if there was a bit more transparency in the succession, plan, you don't have to necessarily say you're going to be editor-in-chief in 2027, right? But no. you can show me that in 2024, 12 months from now, this is where we'd like you to be as a business. And these are the things, giving the accountability back to you as an individual, these are the things I need you to do over the next 12 months so that you can get to this level, right? So it's a, we're meeting them halfway. And it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a yeah. relationship and a commitment and a trust building. What happens to newsrooms or to publishers in general that don't listen to what you're saying? Just to take a step back, our industry is not the, the, the kindest when it comes to your mental health, well-being and 
uh, work-life balance, but we are all here because we have a passion, you know, somewhere inside us, that, that fire of wanting to be an active citizen in your own country, helping to keep your democracy alive, doing the right thing, um, calling, um, calling power to account. But what I've realized is what the pandemic did was rocked people's lives so much that they are willing to take a step back from the cause um, and the passion and the fire if it means that they are feeding their well-being and creating a work-life balance and valuing other aspects of their lives, which is their families and friends, or even just themselves, um, if if they're not, um, you know, mothers or or fathers and stuff. So people are leaving our industry, not staying in the industry, getting another job. Tech is taking a lot of our talent because a lot of tech companies are tapping into the skill set that we already yeah. have. The, cha- the, the, the the salaries are better, but also the work life. They get their weekends, they get their evenings, they get to have dinners, you know, um, all those things. So it's very expensive. If you're not willing to meet them halfway by being flexible, empathetic and understanding, you're going to have to start looking for talent. And if you haven't been nurturing it and creating a pool, then you're going to be working with some people who have some of the, some of the skills you need, but, but not other skills that you need. And so that means you have to be realistic about your targets and your strategy as well. So it's a very painful lesson. And I don't think it's worth it if you're just looking at what you need to do to just keep those people around. Well, I think long-term it also is going to affect, you mentioned this earlier, it's also going to affect your ability to talk to up-and-coming mm. audiences. They're, mm. they're just not going to have any, there'll be no, no connection between your staff and the audiences that they're trying to reach. None whatsoever. And those that you also risk, those that stick around out of fear of not having a salary, quite quitting and doing the bare minimum. And that's <laughs> the last thing you need because nothing fresh comes out of people doing bare minimum, nothing creative. That's not where innovative ideas are born. All the things that come out of, all the things that I've been part of um, in a newsroom have been out of me being bored enough to say, okay, this is, um, I, I do breaking news every day, but my mind wants to work on something else. Let me work on a good news project. Let me work on 100 Young Mandela's project, you know, and you don't get that from a staff member who's not motivated, who's not into where they're working, who's just showing up and being on autopilot. Yeah. So after three months looking at this and talking to people uh, and also spending time, I guess, with what, 30 people? Mm, from 13. Other- yeah. From other, 13, one, three. Mm, mm. So those people from other countries and other media sectors, are you optimistic about how media is going to deal with this issue? Um, I'm not sure, Peter. I'm literally going back home to um, a full five-day return to office um, policy from my own company. And... There are different attitudes towards it. Some people thrive on it because of South Africa's uh, current situation with the electricity energy crisis. It's actually better to be working at an office for five days a week than to have to be load shed and move around at home. But there's different attitudes, right? Um, I think there are some newsrooms who are not in touch 
with the pulse of the workers um, at the very um, lowest entry level coming up. Um, there's a risk in being in a bubble mindset. Um, and that will also speak to just before return to office, it will speak to how they would have approached mental well-being. One of my one of my classmates who had a very senior Indigenous reporter resign from their newsroom, a very senior um, reporter, resigned due to the fact that after they covered the coronation, they faced, um, in a comment, they said they faced some racial um, abuse online and the company's lack of intervention and assisting right. with that reporter and how they handled that led to them feeling let down. So I can't say that I'm optimistic because the different leadership structures in the different newsrooms across the world aren't all on the same page about it's better for us to tap into this empathetic style of leadership and not lose our best and brightest versus those who are strictly thinking on a business level about the well-running machine, the keeping the revenue, the, the, the churning of stories and keeping what the business of the of news is, is keeping it as business and kind of, you know, not embracing this unavoidable next step for leadership. It's unavoidable. Every single newsroom has to tap into it. And I don't even think it's just news. It's literally the global market. Every single industry has to tap into this if you want to preserve your best and brightest. So I can't say I'm optimistic. I'll just take it on a case-by-case case based on the newsrooms that I've been in and gauging on the kind of reception that I get from top management. When I go back home, I'm going to present this to our top management. And even then, I'm not sure because, like I said, we've just instituted a, a strict five-day return to office um, um, policy. So I'm not sure what had led to that decision being made. Um, I don't think it was the great a great idea, but um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'll, I'll be able to hear what the motivation for it was when I get home. And I hope that my research that I've, they paid for me to be here for three months. And so I hope that they, they will take this research that I present to them seriously and try to create some kind of plan. Um, I wanted to tell you that Washington Post has something called the Next Generation um, Department. And so I thought that was really incredible to see a business really establishing a unit that's targeting this audience in a very intentional and deliberate way. And it's got members from all kinds, all, all, all parts of the department. So you've got a, a, a newsroom editor and Phoebe Connolly. You've got someone from marketing that she works with, someone from subscriptions, um, someone from um, the tech side, a developer. You've got some someone. So she's got like what they do is kind of consult across the newsroom to see how they can do certain things better to reach certain audiences. But what they also do, is also tap into those young Gen Zs yep. inside the newsroom and prop them up, give them the support, become allies, lean into the projects that they're suggesting in a way to like naturally in an organic way from inside feed the 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 the, the beast that they're trying to you know cater to. 
So there are some museums who are awakened to seeing what's, you know, very much in our faces, not even in the forecast or, 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 or coming up. It's literally they are either in university right now or they've just finished university and are in their first few jobs and some are still in school. So these are people we cannot ignore. That's a great place to end. <laughs> Thank you very much. I've You're loved welcome. this. This is amazing. We could talk for hours on this one. I um, know. It's, it's a tough, tough one. It's so tricky to just figure out why people just won't give in. Just... Well, it's that, I think there's all sorts going on. There's pride. I think, mm. you know, the older generation talks about, you know, kids having it easy or whatever. Mm. Uh, so that's mm. part of it. Also, there's a financial aspect to it, which is mm. we all know too mm. well. And yeah. I think also, got you know, looking at what you've said, um, the younger people don't know what they want. And I think that's no. good. You know, it used to be, certainly for my age, mm. you, you got a job and you stuck it as long as you possibly could until yep. you either got a better one or you got made redundant or paid off or whatever. Yeah. And it's not like that now. There's much more there's much more personality and personal decisions involved. In Definitely. Um, on this point that you're making, my classmate from Japan which is a culture very much like that of the first job you get is a job that you have until you retire. And even in Japan, which is a, 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 a very strict and, you know, some could say rigid, but there's like a very, this is the way that we do things. And even there, they're having this problem of young people who are like, actually, no, I don't want to stick around here forever. I don't see the projection of this company going in a direction that I see my career going in. And so I'm tapping out, which is new. And they, yeah. they are also grappling with, what do we do? Because we've always trusted that everybody would step in line and do the societal thing. Yeah, no, it's definitely changed. You're, you're so right on that. And I think mm. sometimes we say, oh, it's done. You know, COVID's done, the pandemic's done, no. everything's back to normal. It's not, it's changed. It will never be normal no. again. We have to find a new normal. And I think what you're saying about pride, I think part of it is probably what I feel as a young person in a newsroom and why sometimes we have stumbling blocks, um, whether it's managing people or leading. It's because usually the person whose responsibility it is to set the get the ball rolling is in denial about their own trauma or their own oh. experience or their own so they're not ready if you're not ready to deal with the trauma you experienced in the pandemic and how it changed you you're not going to be able to empathize with your employee who was ch- changed and shifted after that right yeah. and so i think that's something we're not speaking about and this is just me making a mental observation but i really think i'm 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 onto something here in that those who are struggling to meet the team where the team needs to be met is because they haven't done it with themselves first thank you so much to mpo there thank you peter for doing the interview and thank you again to glide publishing platform for their support this episode and the entire series and thank you to the listeners as well this has been a really interesting season to edit because I haven't been involved in the interviews at 
any stage. And obviously we're doing things slightly differently without Esther. So it's all really been on, on Peter's shoulders to get all this done. So it's been fascinating to hear it. <laughs> Looking out. Yeah. It's been a blast. Nice. Well, this isn't necessarily sort of the uh, the end of the format, is it? We could always do this. It's our podcast. Well, we can do what we want. We've got a special bonus edition teed mm. up for maybe September, which I am seriously looking forward to. We're not telling anyone who it is. As a trade secret, an industry I'm secret. Properly looking forward to it. Very nice. Well, look forward to that and look forward to next week when we're going to be back with another Big Noises episode. But for now, thank you so much for listening and... Bye-bye. Bye. Not the tablets for this, thing. Bye. <laughs> we should get some helium. <laughs> Do an entire episode just... Let's yeah. episode on helium. How cool would that be? Special prize for anybody who sits through the entire episode. <laughs>